Hello, everybody. How you doing? Hope all is well. Welcome to another episode of our guided meditation. So today we're going to talk a little bit about coping. So as we did with the last few episodes of guided meditations, I'm going to provide you with a few questions, then a few quotes that I think might be helpful. And as I said last time, I recommend having a pen and paper out, kind of addressing each question, writing them down, maybe making time later to review them, write a little bit more, maybe take the episode for a walk, see what thoughts kind of occur to you. And uh, same thing goes for the quotes, right? Write the quotes down, see how they might be impactful. We're always reading the quotes or, you know, listening in this case, uh, re- listen to the quotes with a few questions in mind, right? So what does it say? What does it mean? How can I apply it? How can I live it? And uh, why might this be important, right? Why does it matter? So keep that in mind. And let's get into these questions. What's the first one? How do you handle failure? Next one. How do you respond to conflict? When do you become discouraged? What do you want? And how does thinking about these things that you want or this thing that you want affect you? All right, so let's take a second here. Let's go into some quotes that I think might be helpful. So. Today, we're talking about Marcus Aurelius, once again, his book, Meditations. And we're keeping in mind, these were written for himself, by himself. So he's trying to sort of craft responses to things. He's ultimately trying to shape himself here, right? So I think that's just an interesting note to keep in mind. Um, He's talking to himself. He had no intentions of publishing this, right? Uh, So that being said, let's get into some quotes here, see what he's offering um, that might be useful for us. Uh, The first one I'd like to share with you today is... For the vast majority of our deeds and words are not necessary. Eliminate these and how much toil and trouble will vanish with them. Next quote. The most complete revenge is to not imitate the aggressor. And a brief kind of elaboration on this, right? This does not mean that an aggressor does not warrant a response. And nor does it mean, I think, at least from my interpretation, that we should never imitate the aggressor. But I think this is aspirational, right? And he's not saying never or don't. He's saying the most complete revenge, which is to say the best way to get revenge is to offer something else, right? So it doesn't mean don't respond. If someone's being rude towards you, maybe we can respond in a way that's empathetic and kind and sort of like offering, you know, um, let's say some teaching, right? Um, And that might be the better approach. Right? Again, what if we aspire to not always meet aggression with aggression, I think is what he's asking himself to consider here, right? The imitation, you know, in many cases might not build or create a healthier world. And again, sometimes it might be necessary, right? But ultimately, especially with day-to-day stuff, right, we might be harming others and ourselves if we are too quick to meet aggression with imitation, Do not dream of what is absent and its greater pleasures, but review the blessings of the present. So for me, this really connects to the fourth question, right? Oftentimes, I think we're tortured by what we want because we don't have it yet, right? And there's a lot that can be said about that. But ultimately, if we were to work at you know, decreasing our desires or maybe examining those back to the first quote that aren't really necessary, and we learn to desire and appreciate what was necessary for us to be, let's say, healthy, um, that might lead us 
to not only coping with misfortune better, but by, you know, might lead us into a situation where we're causing a lot less suffering for ourselves, right? So what I hope to elaborate on or what I hope I elaborated upon in the other um, lectures on coping is that we have to deal with the misfortunes the universe throws at, at us, of course, and we also have to work internally to not cause ourselves a great deal of suffering. Or let's even say we should work to not cause ourselves more suffering than is necessary. So maybe our desires lead us into suffering, right? Because we're noticing what's absent instead of what's present. So gratitude is sort of, you know, it's obvious it's desire for what is, which is way more stable than wanting and desiring for what is not yet, right? Or what may never be. So the idea here that a part of coping or leading a life where we're more resilient to misfortunes or a life where we're causing ourselves less stress, you know, might mean decreasing the intensity, the frequency, the number of desires we have, right? How do we work on that? Again, maybe gratitude is an antidote to that. But for sure, focusing on what's necessary also, I think, um, helps us really focus on what's necessary from failure, which is the lesson. Right? We can't change the past, but we certainly have to learn from it. So that's necessary for us to grow. So think about those questions. Think of, about those few brief quotes. I'll keep this episode short today. And there will likely be another entry in this guided uh, meditation as well for coping. So I hope this is helpful. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Hello, everybody. How you doing? Hope all is well. Here's another short episode of guided philosophical meditation on coping. So as we do, here are some questions. How do you solve problems? How do you help others? How and why is your life complicated? What are you usually the most anxious about? So let's go to some potential help here. Once again, return to Marcus Aurelius for a little bit. Many gifts are within your reach at any and every moment. So I think when problems arise, especially from out of nowhere, I know I have the tendency to like look, to think and feel and look out, right? So by that, I mean, I assume I can't figure it out myself. I, I need some... I need something that I don't have already. Well, Marcus Aurelius here, again, reminding himself, well, t take a second here. Start with what I know, right? That's usually a good way to approach a problem, right? Wrap your head around it, try to ask questions of it, right? Figure it out, get the details. And then when you're trying to find a solution, starting with what we already have, what we already know, what we already are confident we can do, I think is the best way to start solving problems, right? I think there's a huge part of coping is seeing ourselves as capable of at the very least starting a conversation, starting actions about the solution, right? Not assuming we're at a deficit or assuming that we can't, right? So he's telling himself here at any moment, many gifts, right? Not all the gifts, but we all have skills. We all have experiences that if we turn to them, will very likely be useful in some way, right? So if I think he's reminding himself here, like don't again, assume that I know nothing that there's no virtue and like there's something in me that could be useful here. We have to, again, look within, which is what we're doing here with these questions, right? Learning about ourselves and then so we can kind of get a direction for how we should grow, right? So this is a great reminder, look inward a little bit, start the conversation there. Once again, this is very sort of an Aristotle point, right? Um, start with what we know. That's a good piece of advice too. Next one which uh, connects to the second question. Yeah, and Mark is telling himself here, help others, life is short. So 
I think a part of coping is the fact that, and we see this throughout human societies, right? Like we come together to cope. The word commiserate, I think, you know, generally speaking, I'm not a fan of that word or that idea, but sometimes to an extent, it's therapeutic to come together and share some misery with people, right? So to bring misery onto others, not a great idea, but to voluntarily come together to help each other cope, that's powerful, right? That's one of the reasons why we bother having funerals, right? It's so we can have a community of of mourners that hopefully are going to support each other, right? So the idea that you know, life is short is his reminder, that kind of classic stoic, I think, memento mori, right? I'm not here forever. I have to be aware of that. And I think helping others is definitely a way, once again, when we come to community with that intention that um, makes our suffering more manageable, right? I, I think, you know, we, we may encounter this when we have a little lecture on happiness, but one of the pathways to happiness, according to the school of life, is to sort of just go out and help somebody else. Right, it shows you that there are other people and that are suffering and that could use help. You know, that help might not be similar to yours in some you know, in some regards, but ultimately, to suffer is part of being human. To be anxious is what it means to be a person. Like that's just what we all are doing. That again, respectfully, I, I say that right to varying degrees, of course. But it's a natural, you know, it's a natural part of being a human to have anxiety, to be stressed. Right, we've inherited this from our ancestors. This is what it is. You know. But one way to get out of that is by helping someone else with their stress and anxiety, right? And for those of us who might be the friends or the significant others or family members that tend to give a lot of advice, you know, you're hearing yourself too. There's a benefit to that for you as well. And again, by focusing on helping someone else, we're naturally taking the focus off of our negative emotions, which is really helpful, right? So he's reminding himself here, look, life's too short to maybe get caught up in my own anxiety. Let me help somebody else, right? Let me be of service to the empire. He's an emperor. So things to think about, right? Maybe helping people more often, maybe deliberately going out, doing some community service or what have you might be really helpful, right? For again, for the other people and for you as well. Um, next one. And this is, these two kind of connect to the anxiety question. This is from Seneca. We are in the habit of exaggerating or imagining or anticipating sorrow. This is great. I mean, this to me basically is anxiety, right? It's anxiety as a future-driven set of thinking or set of thoughts and feelings, right? We see the future as negative and we also, I think, likely and often see the future as negative and then we don't think we'll be able to deal with it or things will just totally collapse, right? Usually that's an exaggeration. Usually, always, right, anxiety is imagined. It's in the future, right? It's not now. Anticipation, a huge part of that. So he tells us kind of what anxiety is, which I think is that's a pretty good working definition of it. And um, he then offers us the following, right? One, we suffer more often in imagination than in reality. So this is great, I think, for those of us, myself included, who sometimes feel anxious, right? A lot of the stuff I've been anxious about never really happened. It's giving us evidence of this here, too. Seneca's agreeing with that, which I think is really interesting. You could ask yourself, do my anxieties really become real? We have to look back into our histories and to our past and look for evidence of this, right? Because if we're just imagining all this stuff, or not even all of it, right, but a large portion of it, we're causing ourselves sorrow. As you said, we're in that habit of causing ourselves sorrow. When we anticipate sorrow, we're going to be sorrowful. It's hard to anticipate sorrow and be happy, right? So you want to try to break those habits and realize that, again, a lot of these might not be mapping to realities. They lack evidence. They're doxa, right? Doxa is poorly supported opinion or false opinion. So a lot of our anxieties are doxa. We have to prove that to ourselves. We have to go back and sit and write, think about this stuff. And then another piece of advice with this I think is great is you will suffer soon enough when it arrives. Stoics are big on that. 
right? They want us to think about those things a little bit. I mean, a little bit, that's in quotes, like pretty frequently, right? Not to live there all the time, I don't think, right? But they wanted us to get memento more, remind ourselves that we're mortal, right? Epictetus famously used to tell, told his students to kind of imagine things going wrong to prepare yourself a little bit. Worse than getting punched is getting punched by surprise, right? So it doesn't mean to constantly be in a state of, again, anticipating sorrow, but it means to have these kind of subtle reminders on a frequent enough basis that we're grateful for what goes right. And that, again, we're a little less surprised when things go wrong. So look, suffering is a part of life. Again, Stoics understood that. Other philosophies did too, of course. I think that's a natural thing, right? We're going to suffer. It's going to happen, right? So look forward, meanwhile, to better things. So that's about changing the channel, right? So when you catch your imagination and you're thinking, veering off into a negative, imaginary, not yet happening space, how do we, and this is, I don't mean to at all be dismissive of how difficult this might be, right? This isn't easy. But when he's saying, so look forward, meanwhile, to better things, one, he's like telling us that's possible, right? You can work to construct healthier, more truthful, more positive, even let's say optimistic narratives of the future. And once again, I think self-writing is huge here because sometimes that's really hard to do if you're just thinking. But sitting down and forcing yourself to write, okay, you know what I'm having? I'm really nervous about this meeting at work. Or I'm really nervous about this party or I'm really nervous about this test. All right, well, let's stop for a minute. Because when you think about thoughts, sometimes it doesn't go well, right? But when you ground it in an action, let me, let me stop thinking. Let me start writing. Let me write what I need to do. Let me kind of practically unpack the steps here. What am I, what am I afraid of? Okay, how, what can I do to prevent this from happening? Here's how I'm going to do it. All of a sudden, once again, your focus has shifted. You've gone from thinking to taking action and writing. Then your action is, I'm sorry, your writing is then action oriented, right? Acknowledge the emotion. We can even write about that, right? Why am I so nervous about this? Well, if I fail this test, you know, it means I'm going to probably fail the class and I won't graduate. Wait a minute. Okay. We're doing a lot here. And with the writing, we can catch ourselves more quickly, right? We can see how our sort of, let's say we're giving assent. We're accepting as true things that are doxa. Right, where we're assuming, we're making all these assumptions, we're accepting all these possibilities as if they are certainties. Right, there's a spectrum. It goes from possible to probable to certain, and then at that point, you feel like it's already happened. You ruined your day, right? So we could stop it when we start engaging with possibilities or even probabilities, and we're not acknowledging that instead of being probable, they're not probable. Here's what I need to do to make it less probable. Then we're taking action, and again, we're moving in the right direction. We're not just thinking anymore. So these few quotes, I think, are actually nice starting points to think about how we can cope with anxiety in a more effective way. Right? Anxiety about the future will be, I think, generally speaking, um, more responsive to taking a rational action in the moment than it will to continuously thinking about what we're thinking about. So maybe it's self-writing. Maybe it's getting up and going for a walk. Maybe it's talking to somebody. Maybe it's you know just starting the thing you're nervous about just for even five minutes putting on a timer. You, you're going to see that you will calm down, I think. Right. So, of course, when he's saying look forward, meanwhile, to better things, we have to train that. That's a process, I think, to be able to do that. And it's one when you master it, I, th I think it's, it's really helpful. And I haven't mastered that yet, but I'm working on it. I think that's really, you know, again, taking action, the self-writing are pathways to being able to look forward to better things, especially when our minds are clouded with anxiety, negative thinking about the future. So hope that was helpful. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.